is a billionaire's in boxes production. Hi, this is Phil Paluccia, and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes. Uh, I'm joined by Gavin Gallagher. Now, I've been looking forward to this call with Gav for, for quite some time. We actually met up uh, a couple of years ago in Dublin, and we were talking about doing the show. Even then, he's a, a talented podcaster, uh, but more importantly than that, he's a very talented property investor and developer of over 20 years in the industry. Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm keen to kind of get into a real discussion around this because one of the things that Gab does that I absolutely love is that he is very open about the the struggles and strains that he personally went through uh, during the recession in 2008, um, both in his written work but in terms of his podcast as well. And I think there's a great deal of lessons that people can learn from this and uh, just hearing somebody else share their similar experiences and show you that you're not alone um is is very powerful stuff and if we have time to get into it i'm gonna have a good chat with gab as well just regarding um what the future of office space and work looks like and you know where people should be investing their money at this time so gavin welcome thanks mate good to be here yeah really good to have you here buddy it's been a long time in the making this one yeah well we finally got it to do it yeah so it's good we did absolutely so for our listeners that haven't come across you before appreciate it. i've just given you a bit of an intro there but but how would gavin gallagher introduce gavin um i am a well the tagline in the twitter feed says that i am a property investor entrepreneur and speaker and um and uh, i suppose there's a lot more behind it like 20 years in the real estate business uh, a lot of ups and downs some some great years when i was kind of smashing everything and it was uh, i was on my way to being a billionaire <laughs> yeah and then and then 2008 came along and boy was i humbled by that uh, and the, the 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 time it took to dig myself out of that i mean that was a good 6 years of uh, of firefighting and basically trying to keep the boat from sinking and uh, so yeah a very tough period of time and uh, that kind of was what motivated me to create my own podcast where I kind of go into a lot of that stuff and just try to steer people in the right direction because when it's all win, 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 and when you're succeeding, like you, you, you build up all these bad habits and you kind of think that no, nothing's going to go wrong. Every year is going to continue to kind of build on the previous one and you don't go into it ready for the kind of... Um, the kind of knockout you can get and uh, and so it's um yeah it's something that i've been working on for a bit well i love that and 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 as we were saying i mean with your with your podcast in particular i've been enjoying uh, lots of those episodes and the advice that that is in there and and you know the, there's a lot of comparisons that we could make between the recession in in 2008 and, and the time that we find ourselves right now um, i mean i'm sick to death as i'm sure everybody else is of hearing the phrase unprecedented this unprecedented Not, time yeah. but yeah, it's not um, yeah. no, uh, and in fact, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from previous recessions as to to how you can recover from this. Well, one thing's for sure. Uh, I went into 2020 actually anticipating some kind of a collapse in the market because we just we've had it so good for so long that you, you kind of you after you've been through a couple of cycles, you start to you know anticipate this kind of thing. And so myself and my colleagues that we all work together, we, we were actually closing a transaction about a year ago and mm. we were kind of saying, you know, what are we going to do um, with the proceeds? Because it was, a, it was a decent enough payday. And we were just sort of saying, you know what, just stick it away. Do not do anything with it right now because 
there's going to be something. And at the time we were having this conversation, we were talking about whether it was going to be Trump starting a trade war with China or it was going to be more likely in our case, Brexit related. Mm -hmm. And, um, and like there was all of these uncertainties and, and lo and behold, you know, first of January, people are starting to talk about some sort of virus in China. And then it started to spread to Italy. And, and I started saying, oh, oh, we're in for a major problem here. And a lot of people were kind of thinking that I was a bit alarmist. Mm. I think it's just after you've been through the kind of the, the, the ups and downs I've been through, you start to look for, for this kind of thing and uh, you look for the signals. And, and I, I'm pretty sure I saw the signals earlier than most. And so we've kind of bedded down. But having said that, when you're in this industry, it moves kind of like a big oil tanker. You know, you can't change direction overnight. That's very true. You, you know, you, you, you stick your engines into reverse and it still takes miles and miles of forward momentum before you can actually bring it to a stop. So we're kind of in that in that same position now and you've got projects to finish and and things like that. But at least we're in a better position than many insofar as we were kind of anticipating something happening. Mm. Well, of course, I mean, we're not, uh, the thing that you were anticipating happening, it, we haven't even felt the full effect of that yet in terms of Brexit. So, you know, people were, were starting to look at what Brexit might do to, to the industry and, uh, and the impact that that's going to have. But, you know, we still find ourselves in a position that we don't even know there's going to be a deal. What does a no deal look like? Is there now going to be a border? What's, what's going to happen with all this? And that's on top of coronavirus. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it's far worse a situation than I could have anticipated a year ago. Yeah. I mean, Brexit was already a major, major concern for us because um, of just the, you know, the uncertainty obviously makes people stop investing and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. But this pandemic is, you know, I would hazard a guess it's, it's almost worse than 2008 mm -hmm. uh, insofar as 2008. I mean, it took years to kind of dig, dig ourselves out of that. Now Ireland was probably worse hit than many countries because our property industry was, was so positive on fire for so long. Mm. But every country in the world is impacted now. Mm -hmm. And so that being the case, this is really going to be a kind of a global recession. And uh, and it's going to be, I mean, we're not even seeing the effects yet because no. there's so much stimulus in the economy at the moment. I mean, everyone, there's all these, you know, people are being furloughed and you're not allowed to evict people. And uh, there's all this kind of support for companies. And, you know, in a couple of months time, that support's going to come to an end. And when that happens, that's when you'll actually see what the real impact is going to be. And that's where I'm, I'm kind of concerned. And I also think, you know, the U.S. election is obviously going to throw all sorts of uncertainty into the mix as well. And, and the reaction of Mr. Trump is going to be particularly interesting because the noises he's making right now are that he's not prepared to walk away quietly if he loses. Mm -hmm. And that could throw a whole extra layer of uncertainty into the mix. So it's really unusual time at the moment. Well, plus factor in that obviously the UK has certain relations. We have a pretty good relationship with Ireland these days. wasn't always the case. Um, but if we do go down the line of a no-deal Brexit and hard borders and all this kind of stuff, those relationships are going to be strained once more and nobody knows what's going to happen with that situation. So do you know what I, what I would say is, I mean, you've kind of hit the nail on the head for me with the, uh, there's often patterns that can be identified from recessions and, and times of economic, not just downturn, but also the, the uptimes as well. Um, you know, I like to describe it as a big wheel. You know, you might be on the top right now, but it, that, believe you me, that wheel is turning and there will be a point when you're on the bottom and you need to prepare for it. Um, sure. I mean, obviously, you you were fortunate. I mean, as you said, you, you didn't 
predict COVID, but you you saw something coming and and you know started that oil tanker river in reverse uh, and started to put the brakes on. But you know the other investors and people that you're you're speaking to across the the network and, and other developers, you know, how are they kind of reacting to this at the moment? Well, it's it's hard to get you know it's hard to get some sort of um, unified answer from everybody because a lot of people have you know this is one of the things that I actually talk about in my own podcast is the fact that a lot of the time whatever position you're in will influence how you actually perceive yourself to be so if you if you're in a really really difficult position with a lot of borrowings and all that you're naturally going to skew towards thinking that this is only a blip and we're around the corner you know it won't be long until this is because your mind is sort of forcing you to believe that because mm. that's your only option. The other option is to believe that you're you're a walking bankrupt, and mm. that is what your future, your you know, your near-term future is. And so, a lot of people just don't want to kind of deal with the reality of the situation that we're in. Now, it's very hard to say at the moment because there have actually been, and I'm seeing it in the UK, I'm seeing it in Ireland and America. There's actually kind of an upswing in the real estate market at the moment. Yeah, there has been. Yeah, which in the residential sector, anyway. Mm. And, and you kind of say, well, look, there you go, proof that this is not what's happening. But it's all of that stimulus is still mixed into that. Plus, there's all the weeks of the lockdown, which meant that there was kind of this pent up demand, whereas normally places were being sold on a weekly basis. Suddenly, there's maybe eight to 10 weeks of nothing selling. Mm-hmm. And so there's that 10 weeks of stuff to get through. So we've been playing catch up. So I don't know. I don't like to be the kind of the, the doomsday sayer and things like that, but I think we're in for a really tough couple of months, if not a year or two. And, mm. and it's very hard to put your finger on it. And I mean, you know, it would be, I think most people will just stop what they're doing rather than, you know, take a position. You know, you, if you take a position, you know, that you're going to keep investing, that's a very risky position. Mm-hmm. And if you take a position that you're not going to do anything right now, I think it's a safer position. Uh, some people might think that they can consolidate in this market. You know, if you if you're if you're that kind of business, like look at Amazon now, it's absolutely flying and Apple. Yep. So that being the case, you know, there are certain sectors that are really going to do quite well in this. And mm. uh, it seems like the big guys are just getting bigger and bigger. Mm. And, um, but then the small guy is finding it a real struggle. So. It's very hard to say, and, and it impacts so many different segments of the market. It's like a crystal ball, you know? Mm. <laughs> crystal ball. I listen to whoever thinks that they've got the right answer. Do you know what? My big fear, if I'm completely honest, and this is away from the kind of the, the investment advice because I don't have any, I, mean, I don't know what to do in this situation either. But um, having been in this industry through two recessions now, I think the, the thing that stands out to me is the emotional and mental strain that this has on people in the industry. Um, I'm sure whilst we won't discuss it on air, I'm sure both of us know people who, who didn't make it out of those times um, caused by the stress and, you know, the bankruptcy and, and everything else that kind of comes with that. And work, um, yeah. yeah and, and that worries me. That really does worry me. And that's why I, that's why I was so passionate about getting you on the show to, to talk about what you're doing on your podcast as well, as well as your work, because I really admire the fact that you're actually opening up about that and having those conversations, because I think, you know, if we if we do take it back to to two thousand and eight, I think you'd have been hard pressed to find anybody in the industry talking about um, the mental health aspect of it or the emotional well being side of things. Um, it was almost seen, and I hate the phrase, but it was almost seen as that man up, 
get through it. We're all in it. Just carry on and we'll, we'll get there. Well, sometimes that's, that's really terrible advice. Um, you know, and actually hearing somebody say, listen, this was my experience. This is how painful it was, but you know, I came through the other side. It is going to be painful. It is going to be sore. It's going to take a number of years, but you can do it. I think that's not just inspiring, but I think it's, it's really empowering for people to hear that kind of message. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, is, is just to, to react quickly. I think one of, one of the things that I, one of the mistakes I made was I kind of believed that we were in for a tough time, but I didn't want to make the kind of painful decision to kind of dial back lifestyle and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had just moved to Spain. I was living in a nice villa down in the south of Spain. It's lovely and sunny. I was surrounded by guys that were kind of wealthy and um and, and had kind of like you know basically kind of half retired and stuff right and so i was i was in a sort of a, a circle of friends that didn't really feel the impact directly mm. so that was a bad position to be in in retrospect because it got me kind of sort of thinking well i just want to continue to live this kind of lifestyle i don't want to dial it back and really what i should have done was be cutting right back on a lot of expenses and um and just making sure that you know, it's it's painful though. That's the problem is, is you don't want to dial back on your lifestyle and you get used to a certain lifestyle. And, you, and it's very hard. It's, it's it's basically kind of like having to admit that you're, you know, you're taking a step backwards mm. when you start sort of booking yourself the, you know, the Ryanair flight instead of the, you know, the, the seat selected in the, in the British Airways flight or whatever sure. it is. I mean, every little thing makes an impact. And, uh, and I found that to be, sort of something that I procrastinated on for a long time. I think everybody's experienced that in some degree or another, haven't they? Even, even, you know, I was having this conversation not so long ago with somebody who's um, uh, a a chief exec of a company. He was saying that they've had to kind of, to stop people being made redundant, they've had to try and tighten the salary belt. And he was saying that that the major problem that they have is managing that process. It's because, you know, once you, if you're earning, you know, 3000 a month, and then suddenly you're now used to earning 5000 a month, well, we all do that same thing, which is, well, if I could just earn five instead of three, then I could put away two because my expenditure is three. But the second you start earning five, after three or four months, your expenditure is now five um, because your your lifestyle goes up and your expectations go up and your costs go up. So and the then holiday, when- yeah. and, the, and the annual holiday now, you go that little bit further on the flight, you stay in the fancier hotel, and, and all of a sudden you're just, you've moved straight back up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, and that's difficult for people to accept. Actually, there's probably a, you know, don't stay at the five star, stay at the three star or the four star. And it's like, well, it's not like it's not like the five star we stayed in Florida, is it? It's now a, a four star in Spain kind of thing. Um, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It, it, the thing is, is, is that a lot of people they they kind of think to themselves, oh, this is a little treat that I'm giving myself, and you kind of say to yourself, you know what, next year we'll dial back the spending and, and we'll <laughs> yeah. star, you know, but once you've, once you've t- sampled five star, you don't want to go back. No. And, and it's the same with the, ch- you know, the choice of car that you have, you know, you, you build your ego around how you, you know, what you roll in, you know, and, uh, mm. and like the kind of car that you drive sends out a signal to all your friends that, you know, you're successful and whatever, and the watch that's on your wrist, there's a whole lot of that, that basically is, is subconscious. And you there's don't a lot of that in our industry. That's it. I mean, and yeah. if you just, you just check, type in real estate or, you know, entrepreneur into Instagram and you know, there's going to be thousands of pages where it's guy like showing his watch and mm-hmm. getting out of his fancy car and, his, you know, and it's just, it's that whole image is there. 
and it's a really slippery slope. And when you get into this recessionary times now, there's going to be guys that have to sell off that fancy car at a fraction of what they paid for it. Mm-hmm. And not only are they going to have the, the financial pain of that, of that transaction, but they're also going to have the ego pain mm-hmm. and the kind of having to admit it. And it's a lot easier to kind of just not go there in the first place, not kind of like leap ahead so fast and um, because it's, it's 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 just easier to kind of step slowly towards it rather than you know wanting it all in the first year of your success and um, i mean i i did all the the wrong stuff so i'm mm. preaching from a position of having had to having been there and then having to have turn it all back again you know? well i'll say something that i found fascinating um recently so i'd say over the last 24 months we've started to do more and more work with with people of of a, of a, of a different level so we've you know we we've, we've been working with uh, self-made millionaires we've been dealing, working with multi-millionaires and there is definitely that aspect and that element of keeping up with the joneses you know it's like well i own more than him so i've got to have an extra three bedrooms even though there's only two of us that live in this house um and you know we've we've got to have four cars even though we've only got two butts to drive you know it's uh and, and it's that kind of attitude whereas what i found now that we're, we're dealing so we have like several uh, billionaires now that are a billionaire status within our network several of which we're working coaching programs with and they, they're completely different because I always wondered, like, well, what do they do? Do they just buy a big super yacht? And it's like, no, actually, they they don't think like that at all. Um, in fact, at least two of the billionaires that come to mind when I'm talking about this, you would not know that they were a billionaire. You 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 wouldn't know from their lifestyle. In fact, I'd almost say that the, they don't live, a, they don't have a tight budget. I don't want to say that by any stretch of imagination, but they're not. They're not frivolous with their cash. Yeah, yeah, they're they're very conservative with the way that they spend money and the 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 lifestyle that they have. You know, it will be well. I don't. I I can stay in a nice five star hotel, but I'm gonna do it on the week that there's an offer because I don't need to rent the penthouse in the height of season just to show off that I have the cash to be able to do so. Because the money that I'll save by doing that, I can stick into another investment or another business, which is in turn is gonna make me more money. Um, true, yeah, and, oh, and, and I've seen it as well. I've seen it exactly what you're what you're describing as well. With mm-hmm. you know, there's guys that just they they just live kind of below their means. And you find when I was living in Spain, one of my friends, my kids went to this international school, and so I got to mix with all this these people. And there was this Swiss guy, and he was really really friendly. He was one of the first people I met when I arrived at the school gates. And his daughter and my daughter were in the same class. Mm-hmm. And when we were walking back to our cars, he had a Swiss reg and I had an Irish reg. And he, he had this kind of um, Mercedes Jeep, but it was, you know, it looked like it was probably seven or eight years of age. And and I kind of just assumed he was just kind of another guy and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was only maybe six months after, you know, knowing him and kind of getting, spending time with the guy that I realized, like he traveled by private jet when he was going back to Switzerland because mm-hmm. of the risk because he actually was the owner of a bank in switzerland oh, wow and but the guy you would not know that like, you wouldn't know it yeah and this is the this was the amazing thing he was so down to earth and uh and i remember kind of learning i actually he, he never explained it to me himself i heard it from somebody who actually knew him a little bit better that that's right. actually what what was going on and i was just kind of like what i never would have known and that mm-hmm. to me that's actually i have greater respect for that then, you know, because there was the other guys that are the complete opposite and they don't have the wealth, but they, they show it off like they do. Mm. And they're the guys that are like borrowing from the bank to kind of buy the Bentley or whatever. And, 
And, uh, you know, we, we had that in Ireland. We had, at, in, in 2005, there were 127 uh, helicopters registered in Ireland um, that year. Right. And, and I mean, th- three years later, they, there was something like 79 of them were, were taken back by the bank because the guys couldn't afford to like keep the damn things, you know? Mm. And um, I mean, it's just ridiculous stuff, but that's, there you go. Well, you know what? One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever was given was was actually by someone who is at that, that billionaire status. And his, his advice was pure and simple. Don't ever buy something that you couldn't afford to do out of your bank account. Yeah. Like if it's not in your bank account, then don't do it. It's like you don't need that helicopter. You don't need that yacht. Yes, okay, you might be able to afford the monthly repayments and get it on a loan or a higher purchase or something. But is it really necessary? Like well, that, who, who is it you're doing that for? There's somebody I know who said something very similar, and his his view. I can't remember who this was now, but his view was if you're going to buy if you're going to buy a car, mm. um, buy it with cash in your bank account, and only buy it when you have double the amount of cash in your bank account. That's a very good wise move. You know, so like you've got five hundred grand sitting in the bank. Okay, I can spend two fifty on a car. You know, mm-hmm. and, um, and and that was his view that you know if you've got to go and borrow it or if you if you're going to spend it and then you're going to be left kind of with very little, don't do it. You know. Mm. I think that's a. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we don't appear to have learned that lesson from previous recessions. No. Um, you know, both of us, I'm sure, could rattle off names of, and we won't, but we could rattle off names of people who still do that keeping up with the joneses and still have the 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 brand new range rover even though everybody knows it's a higher purchase etc etc um and and it's disappointing to see that because they're often the people that will find themselves in a world of pain when a recession like this does come about because they are you know they owe money left right and center and they're all credited up to the hill yeah well Um, one of the things that i learned i mean and this was very very painful well i mean i have my own look whatever about my own situation but if you if you took out the you know the sunday times do this rich list every couple every year mm-hmm. and if you go back to say 2006 or 2007 you had the irish version of the of the sunday times rich list and there were all these names over on the you know say the top 10 and i'd say seven of them were real estate people right and and if you go back 5 years before that uh, the top 10 were software people or whatever. You know, there was these, you go through these cycles mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the thing says, but looking at that list today, if you took out that list of 10 real estate guys, at least five or six of them went bankrupt, mm. you know, in the, within the five years of being listed as like the richest man in Ireland or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you see that, you realize that it, it's across the board. It's not even at, at, you know, your level and my level. It's at, every level it's like the guys up at the very top of the list they were doing the exact same mistakes so this is not you know admitting that you're kind of like you're a fool this is happening to the to the top guys in the industry as well and they're just not aware of it and and that's that cyclical thing that you talk about that the circle you know you're at the top and you've got to recognize when you're at the top and that you will you know maybe three years maybe five years from now you'll be right at the bottom and you'll be in a world of pain and it's what you do at the top that is actually going to you know pay dividends in the future as to whether you get out of it or not absolutely and you know it's a really interesting way of looking at it isn't it because when you're at the bottom that's where that's the time that you make sure your foundations are built solid because that's what you're going to build upon um so that's not the time to be you know cutting corners and, and trying to do things on the slide because you know it's quite tempting to do that when you're on the bottom because you just you know you're fighting to get yourself out of this mess so it is quite tempting to do that but 
yeah. you know, you, the what you do at that moment is going to dictate how high you can go and how long you're going to stay there when you get back to the top. But it's interesting to look at it the other way, that all the people that are currently at the top now that are about to be experiencing that world of pain, it's it's the behaviors and the way that they conduct themselves now that are going to determine just how painful that low moment is going to be and potentially how long they're going to stay there. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, authenticity is a big aspect of it because of those guys that are living this kind of fake, you know, um, Instagram lifestyle. Yeah. Those guys are going to suffer worse than most. But I mean, there were there were guys at the very top in the, you know, in the real estate industry here that actually they couldn't they couldn't take you know, the loss of the, the face and the ego and all that. And they actually took their own lives. I mean, yeah. at, least a, at least a dozen guys that I'm aware of took their lives during that time. Mm. And, and the thing is, is, is do you have that resilience? You know, are you living from day to day to impress your friends or the, not even your friends, the circle that kind of you, you're, you, you sort of surround yourself with? Or are you, you know, really kind of digging in for a long-term career, knowing of the cycles that you've got ahead of you? And mm. if you know that these cycles are just structural part of the industry that you're in, then you start to kind of become aware of, all right, I'm doing really well now. It's time to kind of put a load of cash aside for the rainy day and, and have that discipline because most people just don't have that discipline. Mm. They want to, you know, buy the, the holiday home, rather than say, you know what, I may need this cash in three years' time to kind of dig myself out and, mm-hmm. uh, or, or pay, de- pay down debt. You know, a lot of people, it's not very glamorous to pay down debt. It's more glamorous to have the new Range Rover. Mm-hmm. But the sensible thing, and of course, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, how boring, you know. But when you're in that situation... Well, it's not boring, it's sensible. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. When you're in that situation, though, and your choices are pay down a load of debt, or buy the new Range Rover, mm, you know, it's like you've really got to have your head screwed on. And, you, and just think about it from the point of view of Warren Buffett or somebody like that. I mean, mm. that guy's driving a car that's like 12 years old. Yep. And the guy does not care what you think. He's living in the same house he bought back in the 60s. And he doesn't care. You know what I mean? No. Like, you don't have to prove your worth by the kind of stuff that you accumulate. And, um, and so I think I try to bear that in mind nowadays, but of course it's, it's fine saying that in retrospect, a lot of people are going to learn. Mm. It's funny you should say that. I was reading a, an article yesterday and it was about Steve Jobs and his last words. And Steve Jobs was actually talking about how, you know, most people would consider him the epitome of success because of what he achieved. But, you know, as he was dying of pancreatic cancer, whatever it was, he was like, my money can't even buy me one more day. You know, that's, that's. You know, and there was a there was a quote that he said, "I wish I'd have stopped at a million or two and spent more of my time enjoying my time, because um, yeah. you can't take it with you." And and that's one of the main reasons, if I'm honest, that I've over the last few years I've become more and more disillusioned with social media. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't even mind admitting, sort of four or five years ago, social media would have been a large part of the strategies that we would have been teaching our clients. Um, it worked. It was fine. You could get leads. You could win business. You could do all kinds of stuff with social media. Where the problem arose for me was exactly what you described. It's that Instagram lifestyle. It's the check out my watch. It's the look at my car. It's the people who are renting, uh, you know, these multi-million dollar apartments for a day or two so that they can do their photo shoot there. And it's like this is ridiculous. And and unfortunately, people at the time people believed it. I think more and more now they're becoming disillusioned with it and people look at that and go, 
that's that's not the way forward um but you know i do a lot of work with um professional services uh, business owners so architects accountants etc and they're all saying the same thing which is we don't get to spend as much time as we'd like actually doing the thing we're trained to do because we're trying to figure out how to do social media and how to get lead generation and how to do all this kind of stuff yeah and that has been that has come directly as this byproduct of well, relationship building and meeting face to face doesn't work anymore, which we can't even do it during this time, but that doesn't work anymore. What you need to do is have 5,000 leads coming in via your Instagram account through this video that you've put out. And to do that, you're going to have to stand out with all the others, which means that you're going to have to be stood in the middle of this seven star hotel in Dubai showing off your lifestyle. And it's just, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's, it's fur coat yeah. with no underwear. Um, there's, there's a great new um, show on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's called The Social Dilemma. Ah, do you know what? You're the second person to mention that to me in as many days. Actually, I haven't I watched, watched it. it. I watched it twice in the last week. It is that powerful. And really? Really. It's uh, like I deleted Facebook and various social media things off the phone because some of the truths that they say, really, you kind of go, wow, you know, that is so true. And mm. the amount of time that's spent. And, and the damage that it's doing to teenagers is I have three teenagers, so I'm a bit mm-hmm. concerned about them, you know. And, uh, I mean, they seem to be coping with it okay, but when you just see the kind of the pressure, and if you look at some of the statistics, they talk about the amount of teen suicide, and the, it's up something like 150% since 2011. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was running along at a static kind of a level, and, and suddenly the, the iPhone came along, and now it's kind of, it's been tracking, tracking up. And mm. you start kind of seeing that and you kind of go, wow, there's definitely something there, you know? So I've become mm. very conscious of it. Now I still have the Facebook on the, you know, you still need to, to do your social media for, for whatever you're trying to get your message out there. Yep. But I do it on the desktop now. I don't have it on the phone. So it's constantly buzzing in my pocket and things like that. Because mm. it is so distracting. And how, how many of us reach for our phone first thing in the morning and check these apps and check these notifications? I mean, that's... And news. And the news. Well, I deleted news apps about two years ago for that very reason, because I found... I, in fact, I was I was awful at it. I was one of these people who I would wake up in the morning, I would turn the television on, put it onto Sky News, and then walk into the kitchen and start making my coffee and breakfast for the morning with the news kind of shouting after me in the kitchen. But you're starting your day with here's all of the things that are currently wrong in the world. So true. Um, it's, I mean, how are you supposed to have a, a positive and, and successful day when you're yeah. starting off with everything's wrong? And it gets me as well when you think about, you know, I think maybe three or four years ago, there was a whole hoo-ha with like Vogue and those kind of magazines because they were airbrushing their models and it was it was giving an unrealistic reality and an unrealistic expectation for people to set. And that was causing mental health issues because people were like, well, how come I don't look like her? She's 40 and look at look at how she looks. There's no cellulite there. She looks perfect. Well, she's just been completely airbrushed. Yeah. So, so professional magazines and televisions started to get better at that, I felt. And there was, you know, you were starting to see more plus size models, more kind of real photo shoots that hadn't been air, airbrushed and all that kind of stuff. But social media is the complete opposite. You know, look at the filters we have on the apps. Look at, you know, the light, the things that people put on, on Instagram and Facebook. You would honestly believe that you're the only person currently going through problems in your life because everybody else on there just seems to be so happy and, and living, you know, the best possible yeah, life. People don't realize that you're looking at the highlight reel and, you know, everyone gets up with the same, you know, bags under the eyes and all that kind of stuff. And once you realize that, I mean, I try, I actually found that, 
I'm putting my own content out there, but I don't spend a lot of time looking at other content now for that very reason. Because yeah. I know that so much of it is, but also that one of the things that this social dilemma program deals with is just the the division that it's creating in in, in the democratic societies, you know. And I mean, you just have to look at the U.S. election cycle that we're in now at the moment, and I mean the divisions are just getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And it's got to the point where people are predicting, you know, potential civil war. Certainly, civil unrest is already there. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you're going to have, you know, people that don't accept the result of the election. That's the next thing. And mm. Facebook has a lot to answer in that regard. Well, it's that whole thing going back to the last election, wasn't it, with Cambridge Analytica and being able to kind of manipulate the yeah. way that people, you know, these are the people who are on the fence. These are the things that are important to them. Talk to them about this and they're more likely to vote for you. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, in some respects, you look at that and say, what a clever use of data. I have to admire the fact that they they have the intelligence to be able to do that from a data science perspective. But at the same time, nobody wants to feel like they're being manipulated or brainwashed into a certain decision. Or um, and, and well, that really the, uh, the the whole premise of the social dilemma program, and I, I guess we shouldn't sort of spend too long on it, but is that it's actually you know the, the links between people it's no longer you know you and i are friends it's you and i were brought together by this third party who gets Mm. paying for that privilege to influence you and i do you know what Mm. i mean and so it's and it's like we know whenever you buy something you know you're making a decision to buy something but who planted the seed there for you to buy it i mean it was it naturally your decision or has that been manipulated by the various feed that you know the, the stuff that you're seeing on so it's it's interesting it's, it really goes into it in quite a deep way and i'm definitely going to check it out i mean and that's if i'm honest that's one of the main reasons i love podcasting because podcasting look you could say that podcasting is a form of, of social media we both share our podcasts across social media yeah um, but, but the reason that i i i podcast and the reason i coach my clients to podcast is because it's a fantastic way of creating a relationship with somebody and building a relationship one-on-one or two-on-one to people and then it's one to many can listen to it. So you and I are having this conversation. You know, we'd have probably had a very similar conversation on Skype without recording this. You know, we'd have just had a catch up and, and had that conversation. But there will be people that take things away from this. There will be people that resonate with our message and say, I feel like I know that guy. I've listened to enough of his content. Now I'm going to go and have that conversation. But it's so it's, it's using social media and the power of that network. I don't want to say for, for good versus evil because it sounds so black and white, but it, it's it's putting the human element back into it rather than the look at my Instagram post where I've got an airbrushed video for 30 seconds telling you how you should feel about something. Um, and working with a lot of professional services companies, you know, that's one of the main challenges that they struggle with is I don't have a product for you to buy. I have a service for you to buy. And a lot of that is based on my personality, my knowledge, my experience, and what I can bring to the table. And I always jokingly say, you know, how can you sell a professional service on a 30-second Instagram story? Yeah. You, you can't. I mean, pe- people will work with the accountant that they resonate with. They'll go with the architect who they feel shares the same, you know, visions right. and goals. Exactly. And, and same values. And, and we've, we've almost lost that a little bit as a, as a business society. Do you Chicken and egg, do you blame social media for that? Or do you say that people were moving away from that, which is why social media became so powerful? I don't know the answer for that. That's for somebody much smarter than I to, to decipher. But um, that is the main reason why I am I'm quite anti it, to be honest. I'm, I've, I've got two young children, and I you know I'm very I'm very conscious about the world that they're growing up in as well um, for the, for the same reasons. 
I have five kids, <laughs> three teenagers, and then a three-year-old and a newborn that yeah, arrived on my birthday three weeks ago. So. Oh, how are they all doing? Are they good? All good, yeah. A couple of sniffly noses at home at the moment, so that's keeping us up at night. But apart yeah. from that, it's all good. How are you coping with, um, or, or well, I was going to say, how are you coping with the homeschooling, or is that kind of settled down now? Are they back in school again? or? Teenagers are back in school, um, and my three-year-old has is going to Montessori now, and so oh, brilliant. It yeah, it's better for sure. Um, I I do think that you know it'll be kind of like what they say the lost year. Um, like my kids were not in school for you know from March through till they went back now last week or two, so that's six months basically not being in school. Hmm. And they were all, I was asking them, so how was your first day back in school? And they were saying, it's really, really hard to concentrate. And mm. because that, you know, six months is a long time to break your, you know, your classroom, you know. It really is. Sense of concentration. Well, you've and set you, a new habit by this point. This is it. And you got 40, you know, 40 minutes to sit in the classroom listening to your teacher. Whereas normally they're like flicking through their phone. And, <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, you have like a three second attention span on the phone. And mm. so they're struggling with it now. And now I have one, one of my daughters is a real bookworm and she's, you know, very, very kind of uh, academic. And, and so she, she's dealing with it probably better. Mm. But then her older sister, who, who's more of a social kind of butterfly and, and very kind of outgoing and stuff. And she's, she's having a hard time with mm. just concentrating and then she's in her transition year now which means she has a year without you know exam pressure and things like okay. that yeah and so you, you call it the gap year i guess or whatever you, yeah, something yeah, like sure. that. and it's um and so she you know we're, we're trying to figure out what she's going to do to kind of keep her on the straight and narrow because mm. it's very easy to kind of go off and, and and lose that concentration that you need for the exam years that are coming up well, look, I'm sure none of us would have admitted it at the time, but you know, I think back to to when we were in school and and the, and the breaks that we would have had. It was that big six week holiday, but the reality is that by the end of that holiday, you were kind of ready to go back to school because you'd had all this time off and you'd been around with your friends, you'd done all the stuff, you'd been on holiday, and it was kind of like, okay, I'm ready to go back now. So if that's the effect that you have after six weeks, I can't imagine what happens after six months. I mean, and you know, I, I said earlier, I'm sick of hearing the phrase unprecedented, but. Nobody does know what to do with that. We've never had a scenario before where our children had to take six months out of school and, and then suddenly get thrust back into that environment. So speaking of which, we, we're finding the same kind of experience with um, with work. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a real interesting uh, topic of conversation. And I'm keen to talk to you about East Point before we finish because um, I've, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen companies who are they're kind of making do with uh, furlough and work from home because they've been forced to. But as soon as the opportunity arises to get back into the office, they will do so. In fact, I know several companies in Manchester who um, actually rushed back as soon as they were able to and are now having to go back off again because of, of the, the, the raise in, uh, in, the, in the figures. But I've also seen companies and, and had conversations with business owners who are now saying, I'm now questioning why I'm spending so much on real estate in a city center location when people are working just as fine from home. Uh, flexi time is working quite nicely for us. So I'm, I'm keen as a, as a guy who's on the other side of that fence, obviously uh, responsible for East Point, what your, well, what your feeling is around that entire situation, I suppose. Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated answer because there are so many different stakeholders in this whole situation. 
you've obviously got, you know, you've got banks lending to investors, investors need to get their rent and, and this whole, that whole aspect of it. But then if you look at just pure workplace, um, I had a good conversation with a guy that I know very well who's, who, who thinks about this a lot and who's saying that really employers don't want an office. What they want is a productive workforce. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is what it all boils down to is what can you give your workforce with the tools at your disposal? And if you, you know, the last couple of months, people have proven that it is possible to work from home for sure. Mm-hmm. The question is, is it more productive to work from home? Is a hybrid the way to go about it? And I'm kind of, I'm of the view that I don't think the office is going to go away. Um, I think people are making premature decisions in saying that, you know, oh, that's it. I do know of one company uh, here in East Point that has decided that they're going to move to a work uh, from home only model. Wow. Okay. That's a big leap. It's a big leap, and I and I think it might be premature. And I certainly one of the staff members who I spoke to was of the view that um, they didn't like it, and they mm. they look for a job because they did not want to work from home. And I mean, you've got all sorts of considerations. And I tell you, one of the difficulty is it's a generational thing as well. Yes. So what I'm what I'm learning is that younger people want to come back to the office because the social aspect of work is very important. But it's not just that. You've also, there's a huge amount of education that you pick up from a young person picks up a huge amount of their knowledge and expertise from being exposed to others that are more mature and older and more experienced in the office. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting in your office, one second, I'm just going to close the window. Sure thing, Billy. I don't know whether you heard it, but there's this bus starting up in the distance. When you've got people sitting at home working and they are, say, middle management and, you know, they've been working for years, those guys are, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're able to self-motivate. They're able to kind of get on with it. They know exactly what their, their role is. They know what their tasks are. They know what their priorities are and they can set those priorities for themselves. Mm-hmm. They thrive at home working for themselves. But young people need that bit of direction. And if you're not there leaning over them, sort of telling them what to do, then that same, you know, lack of concentration that my kids has mm. creeps in. And next minute they're, they're watching another episode of Game of Thrones and whatever it is during the day when they kind of say, oh, I'll just take a little break now during lunchtime. And that stretches for two hours or whatever. <laughs> so I think yeah. that there's, there's definitely a, there's a kind of a, a hybrid model there. I would say that for young people, you need to get them back to the office, certainly for a portion of their week. I don't think you need to be in five days of the week, no. but I think you need to get them back for that structure and discipline. Also for the educational side to it, I think the older people, they may want to, they may want the discretion to actually work from home when it suits them. Mm-hmm. Because we all have these, like, first of all, your childcare situation as you get older, so do your childcare needs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And certainly during lockdown, it's been extremely difficult because you've got the homeschooling aspect of it, mm-hmm. which just means, you know, you can't do two things at the same time. And I have friends that have, you know, both, uh, both are working and in the couple and they had to decide, okay, you're going to work lunch until lunchtime. And then it's your turn, you're on duty and I'm going to work from lunchtime till five or whatever. And that was how they split up their day. So there's definitely a cost to their productivity in that scenario. Mm-hmm. But you take them out of that 
uh, take the children's sort of scenario out, and both can work very effectively from home. But do they have the facilities? I mean, it you know nowadays it it costs a lot of money to buy a house with a spare bedroom. Mm. Uh, you know, to have like one available bedroom or say studio that you can go and spend time. You can shut the door behind you. I was working because I have so many kids. I don't have a spare room, and so I was working from the kitchen table. Mm. Every time somebody was organizing breakfast or lunch, I had to go and take up all my stuff, move it out of the way. It was so disruptive. So for me, I couldn't get wait to get back to the office. Mm. Um, now, looking at the financial side to it, you have got you know all these offices that are sitting empty, costing hundreds of thousands a year in rent. There's most definitely a benefit to the financial you know um, accounts and stuff to kind of not have to pay all this rent. Mm-hmm. The problem is is that I think there's a whole load of extra costs. You've got the company, the corporate culture is something that, you know, all of these big tech companies, I see it here in East Point for most, these tech companies spend a huge amount of money on their office fit out because it's part of their office culture is that you've got a cool place, you mm-hmm. can kind of mobile, you can kind of, there's a canteen where you can go down and get your food, you can you know, hang out in a kind of like social area. There's all of these different spaces where you can do different kind of work. You can, you can concentrate, you can collaborate, you can communicate. <coughs> All of that is designed specifically. You take the individual out of that and put them working at home for six months. It's not long before they start to question why they're working at that company for mm-hmm. that salary when somebody else is offering a greater salary. And you're going to end up working from your same kitchen table. So what does it matter whether you get? So you work? lose you lose part of that talent attraction process, don't you? In terms of the and, and prior to COVID, talent retention and recruitment was one of the biggest things that all of these companies want. So I think they've lost the the focus on that for now, and I do think that's going to creep back. I think if you're getting paid X per month and another company, the main competitor of your employer, is paying X plus 5%, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you haven't seen your mates for six months. Like, why would you continue? Like, you can see your mates on social media. Like, you don't need to go in to the office every day. You're still working from the same kitchen table, so I'll take that 5%. So I think loyalty and corporate culture will take a, a hit. And mm-hmm. I think that might be one of the, the, the reasons that people are being dragged back. And then collaboration and, you know, creation of ideas and all of that stuff. I think that works far better. Innovation works better in a kind of environment where you're mixing with people. I think Mm. it's not so easy when you're sitting at home and you got to book yourself in for a meeting with, you know, a Zoom meeting and everybody has to be there 9 a.m. or whatever. And Okay, let's start collaborating, guys. Tell me your idea right now, Phil, you know as opposed to coming up with the idea and wandering down the hall and saying, can I give you, can I spend five minutes? I got an idea. Yes. That's the kind We're of thing. We're going to lose that, aren't we? So I think the jury is still out. I think the office, I think a hybrid model is going to come back. I think the fact that the, the reality with COVID and all that is I think possibly we might start moving towards a flexible model where you have certain functions that you want to have that are that are core to your business mm-hmm. that you'll definitely rent but i think there may be a flexible aspect of it and people might start taking you know co-working space maybe take you know 30 desks at a certain regional location yeah. 
say my, that's available to anyone who wants to work from home during the week, but also can go there and, 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 you know, you come into the central headquarters, you know, two days a week or something like that. But well, otherwise, I was going to say, what's going to be interesting with that when you were talking about talents, obviously, you know, I've, I've owned a search business for a number of years and, and we do a lot of work with uh, roles that have massive skill divides. So there's already a skill shortage in those industries. So there's already a huge element of, well, they're paying more than this one. So why am I going to stay here? I'm going to go over there and, and get paid more for what I do. Um, and, I, and you're absolutely right. If, you, if you're working from your kitchen table, it's going to make no difference where you're working. You're just going to go to the highest bidder. Um but that remote working space, that co-working space, I think could could also present some really interesting opportunities as well as some some problems. The reason I say that is um, rather than having to choose the best person for the job who lives within 60 minutes drive of your office, you can now have these co-working spaces around the country because you're not having to set up these huge, fully kitted out offices where you have everything there. Yeah. Um, and it's going to allow you to to go and attract the best people for the opportunity where they are, rather than trying to find the people where you are. It's so true. I mean, I mean, and look at it's possible nowadays to have uh, people working all around the world for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I have a guy. I have some guys that you know handle content production for me in the Philippines. Yep. And, uh, you know that is a reality now. And if you can find the right people, you can. You know, I, I have another friend who his videographer, he, he's, he's very prolific with video and stuff. And I said, like, how do you get the time to do all the editing? And I, oh, I don't do any editing. I just send stuff to my, to my guy in, I think it's in the Czech Republic or something. Oh, so do um, we. We've, I've, got, I've, got two, I've got one um, that's over in Southeast Asia and one that's in India. So they're, they're, they're my production team. So for the exact same reason. And in fact, we were able to attract people to our business that it wasn't even just necessarily a cost element. It was the years of experience in in videography and and audio editing that my team have in those locations i never in a million years could have afforded to pay for here in the uk yeah. I just, it just wouldn't wouldn't have been realistic whereas i'm paying them a more than competitive rate that they would earn in their local market so they're earning more money but i'm spending less than i would if i was to hire somebody in london to do the same thing so i, I love it i think it's an incredible reality that we find ourselves in it's it's what Tim Ferriss talked about in the four hour work week about two thousand and eight, whenever that book came out. Yeah. You know, it's basically digital arbitrage or geographic arbitrage. And you can live in one place and you can earn your money in another place. And it's I, I, I always enjoyed that. I think I told you this previously. I always enjoyed earning pounds and dollars and living in South Africa where I was spending rand because it would go so much further. Yeah. Um and and you know, it's I never understood why if you don't physically have to be somewhere, why would you why would you choose to be there? So prime example is a good friend of mine. He lives in central London because he loves London. He, he, but he pays central London prices to live there and works entirely remote. In fact, all of his clients are in the US. So he has yeah. no reason to be in central London other than the fact that he likes it. Um, and then I know of another guy who was working with, in fact, he had the opposite. He was working with clients who are London-based. But he only needs to see them like once or twice a month to go over for a meeting. So instead of living in central London, He'd moved to Barcelona and rents a villa for the it's like a sorry a penthouse apartment in in just on the outskirts of Barcelona, mm-hmm. right near the beach. Love it, absolutely loving his time. He books his flights two or three months in advance, so he's getting them for. We mentioned them before. We're giving them a plug. They should give us some money. Uh, Ryanair, that's never going to happen, is it? Um, but he, he books kind of like a twenty thirty euro return flight from Barcelona to Heathrow, and he gets them booked out, and then he lets the clients know months in advance. And that's you know, a phenomenal it, way of working. 
It is great, and it's something that I actually I've considered myself. Although, there, you know, the COVID situation now has changed the travel industry, and so I'm actually I'm not sure that that's a practical way to do it any longer. But what I do see happening, and it's already starting to emerge, is people moving out of the top-priced city mm. uh, living, you know, places and moving further afield. And I, I've even looked at it myself. You know, I could I could move I could half my living costs by moving, say, two hours, even I could quarter my living costs and move two hours away from the city mm. and, you know, work remotely, but come in, um, say, two days a week and just do that commute two days, have all these meetings back to back for that mm-hmm. period of time that you need face to face and the rest of the time. And I've heard people doing that, similar to what you're saying. In America, there's a guy that I follow and he works in New York, but he lives in Florida. And he does a couple of, uh, you know, he on, on Sunday night, he flies to New York. And on Thursday night, he flies back. And what he did with, you know, with lockdown now is he's kind of increasing that extra, getting himself an extra mm-hmm. day of the week. And it's getting to the point where you start saying, why am I doing it weekly? Why not spend two weeks off, you know, in Florida and then spend maybe four days and and that makes it kind of more practical so you're not flying all the time yeah it's pretty fascinating to see isn't it 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 is and i and i i have a villa in the south of spain and it's a beautiful place and i would love to spend time more time down there and 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 now is the time when you could potentially do that but the fact is now that you've got these lockdowns happening and this kind of stuff at the moment that is all on hold so we'll have to see what happens. I, I read this morning that Willie Walsh, the, the, the you know, who stepped down from British Airways CEO, he's saying like that the industry has transformed and will be years before it comes back to how it was. Mm. So it will be interesting to see what happens now. Certainly is. And well, you've still got one advantage that I haven't got at the moment, which is you can still travel to Europe. I don't even know when whether after December we're going to be able to easily move to Europe as a as freely i think it's probably going to go back to the way it was before where you have to have x amount in the bank and health uh, premium health insurance for everybody because we'll lose our european health cards and all this kind of stuff so yeah we'll, nightmare. we'll have the brexit conversation another day i'm sure listen gavin thank you so much for for joining me on the show i really appreciate it where can our listeners come and find you how do they find your podcast how do they get in contact well, the, the best place is to go and check out my website, uh, gavinjgallagher.com. Uh, and uh, if you go forward slash go, it takes you through to kind of a, a newsletter sign-up page. But when you're on the website, you've got access to the podcast, to my YouTube channel, to my social media outlets and things like that. So that's probably the easiest. The podcast is called Behind the Facade. So if you just type that in, you find it there pretty much. It's on every platform that does podcasts. Yeah, and I do highly recommend it as well. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts, as you can imagine, um, yeah. given, given what we do. But I, I do thoroughly enjoy your podcast, and it, it always captures my attention every time I see it posted over on uh, on LinkedIn as well. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been really generous. I think we've we've touched on a lot of really helpful points, and hopefully people have taken away a, a lot from this. And if nothing else, they, they feel they're not alone in this boat. My, my pleasure, Phil. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, buddy. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering 1 billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time.